Good morning, church. Um, it's so good to be with you this morning. Thanks for tuning in to our Sunday service. Um, many of you know me, but for those who don't know me, my name is Jonathan Stickway. Uh, I'm on staff with H2O Cincinnati. This is my second school year on staff with this church, and I really love this church. Um, God has used this church so much in my life. So it's, it's really an honor to be standing here in front of you guys giving the word this morning. Like, uh, I actually met Jesus through H2O my freshman year of college. I was discipled in this community for six, the past six years. Um, I feel like God really started to lead me into taking risks in my faith through this church. I've gotten to disciple tons of people in this church. So yeah, I, like I said, I'm honored to be in front of you this morning. And I really have expectation that God is going to speak and God is going to move through this word um, this morning. So this week is going to feel a little bit different than the past few weeks. As you know, we've been going through this series called Provider. And Grant and Kyle have done an excellent job of getting into scripture and, and telling you about these stories throughout the Bible that we see where God shows up as a provider and provides opportunity or redemption um, or relationships. And you know, it's, it's really felt like storytelling almost. Kyle's mentioned that the past few weeks. Today's going to be a little bit less storytelling and a little more teaching and preaching. Uh, I am going to share some stories with you, um, but just wanted to give you a forewarning. Today's going to be a little more teaching and less storytelling. And, and today I'm going to be teaching about, about how God provides the Holy Spirit to the church. Okay, about how God provides the Holy Spirit, His Spirit to the church, to believers. And after today, I really want you guys to better understand the person of the Holy Spirit. Um, and I really like desire for you guys to have a greater hunger for the Holy Spirit. And when it comes to the Holy Spirit, I think that idea of hunger or thirst is so essential. Hunger and thirst, it's, it's really essential. And we see that in, in John 7, 37 through 39. I'll just start out with, with that one. Um, it says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. And maybe some of the language in that scripture feels a little familiar if you think back to week one of the semester when Grant preached on the, the story of the woman at the well. And Jesus offers this woman at the well living water okay, that, that satisfies. It satisfies the spiritual thirst that we have. And here it talks about living water again. Okay? And, and, but it all starts with, with thirst. Okay? Those who thirst come near to him, come near to Jesus. And when we do that, out of our heart will flow rivers of living water. And the scripture says, this he said about the Spirit. So it's key for us to just have a deep hunger and thirst for the Father, for the Son, and for the Spirit. That's essential. And I really want, after today, for you guys to have a greater thirst for the Spirit of God. Um, so I'm going to pray and, and jump right in. Jesus, you are amazing. And we love you. And this morning is, is all about you. Your king, and I just pray you'd come and reign here. And I pray that you just open our eyes and our hearts to your spirit because we need your spirit desperately. We love you. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Cool. So um, to get started, I want to kind of lay a few foundational things, just points. There's a few points that I want to make um, and before I really get into the meat of the, the teaching today. And the reason I want to do that is because I, I realize that people are, are probably hearing this teaching from all different um, spiritual places. Okay, I, I, I mentioned that we're going to be teaching and, and talking about the Holy Spirit today. And many of you guys have very different ideas or understandings of who the Holy Spirit is. I think our backgrounds um, really can kind of shape our views on the Holy Spirit. Okay, I think there, and, and we come from all different backgrounds. There's people listening to this who come from a, a Catholic background. That's kind of me. You know, there's people who come from a Baptist background or Methodist background or a charismatic background. And all these different backgrounds um, kind of influence, I think, our view on the Holy Spirit. So I just want to start very foundational and lay a few um, points to kind of build some groundwork for today before we get into the meat of what we're going to be talking about. So the first thing, first point I want to make is that the Holy Spirit is God. Okay, the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is Jesus. It might sound a little weird, but the Holy Spirit is Jesus. Okay, and Jesus is God. Jesus is the Spirit. God is Jesus. God is the Spirit, right? This is the idea of the Trinity. The, the three parts of the Trinity are all perfectly one, but they're all perfectly distinct as well. So that's the first point, though, I want to make is that the Holy Spirit is God. And it's important for us to, to get a hold of that um, because we need to honor the Holy Spirit as God. Okay, 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. I love that first part, the Lord is the Spirit. Okay, so that's the first point, the Holy Spirit is God. Next point, the Holy Spirit is a person. Okay, the Holy Spirit is a, is a he, not an it. <laughs> we get this wrong in the way we talk so much of the time, but John 16, 7 is one of many examples where we see that the Holy Spirit is a he. Jesus is, is talking to his disciples and he says, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And we're going to look more at John 16 later and you'll see many, many different instances where Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as He. So it's essential for us to understand that the Holy Spirit is a person. I always thought that the Holy Spirit was like this mystical force, almost like in, in Star Wars, okay? The Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit isn't what we see in Star Wars, okay? The Holy Spirit is a person. And, and I don't mean that He's a person in the sense that He has a body like us. I mean, I guess He does have a body because He is Jesus. Um, but when I say he's a person, I mean that he's, he's sentient, okay? He's active, he's aware, he has a personality, he changes things, he's relational. Okay, so the Holy Spirit is a he. Don't ever refer to the Holy Spirit as an it again, because he's a he. Jesus always referred to him as he or him. That's his pronoun, okay? There you go. Um, next, Holy Spirit is our experience of God. Okay, the Holy Spirit is our experience of God. When we say that, that we're going to go and spend time with Jesus or go spend time with God, I, I get it, you know, we are doing that, but really we're spending time with the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is our experience of God. 
Think about that, that scripture I shared a moment ago in John 16. Jesus says, it's to your advantage that I go away. Because when I go away, I'll send the helper. And that, that helper, that word for helper, it, he's referring to the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is our experience of God. The disciples, they communed with Jesus. Okay, They walked with him, talked with him. He was there in the flesh. Um, but now Jesus is in heaven at the right hand of the Father. And the Holy Spirit is our experience of him. It's important for us to, to get a hold of that. Next point. The Holy Spirit comes into us at salvation. Ephesians 1.13, I don't think it's going to come up on the screen, but Ephesians 1.13 says, In Him, when you believed, or when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So when we hear the gospel, when we believe in the gospel, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Think of an envelope, um, and you put something in an envelope and you seal it up. Okay, we are the envelope. The Holy Spirit has been put into us and sealed. And that happened at salvation. Okay, it happened when we believe that Jesus rose from the dead, died, and died on the cross, rose from the dead for our sins, and we've, we choose to follow him. At that moment, the Holy Spirit seals us. Okay, next point. This one's huge. Um, the Holy Spirit is not spooky. Okay, the Holy Spirit is not spooky. Yeah, another name for him is the Holy Ghost, okay? But he's not like Casper or whatever, all these other ghosts, Halloween time, okay? No, the Holy Spirit is not spooky. You hear people say things. Some of the things I hear people say about the Holy Spirit crack me up. People will say things like, be careful with that Holy Spirit stuff. I'm like, what? <laughs> what? Or this is one I hear a lot. People talking about spiritual gifts. They'll be like, spiritual gifts, those are a little freaky. I'd, I'd stay away from that kind of stuff. No, okay, no. We're not really going to be talking about spiritual gifts much today, but we're actually commanded in Scripture in 1 Corinthians 12, 31 and 1 Corinthians 14, 1 to earnestly desire spiritual gifts. So that should be something we press into, not run away from. And spiritual gifts are just gifts. They're, they're supernatural gifts, spiritual gifts that belong to the Spirit that He gives to us and exercises through us. And they're not spooky. And the Holy Spirit isn't spooky. And I think the reason some of us might have that um, belief that the Holy Spirit is spooky or that spiritual gifts are spooky is because maybe we saw um, them practiced in a, in a weird way or in a way that was off. You know, I, I like this analogy. Imagine if I gave my three-year-old nephew a hammer and sent him into an antique store. Okay, you can, might be able to guess what happens in that situation. It's not good. Things are going to get broken. It's going to be messy. Um, it's going to be a bad situation. Why? Because it lacked maturity and accountability. Okay. Does that mean we need to throw the hammer away? No, we don't need to throw the hammer away. And I think um, the Holy Spirit and, and gifts of the Spirit are almost like the hammer in that situation. And we want to throw them out the door because someone who lacked maturity and, and accountability um, did something that was really weird. And it freaked us out a little bit. But I just want to tell you this morning that the Holy Spirit is not spooky and His gifts are not spooky. We need to press into both of those things. Okay, last um, point. Last of these foundational kind of points. So, the Holy Spirit always seeks to glorify Jesus. Okay, the Holy Spirit always seeks to glorify Jesus. That's His main mission. He always wants to point our attention to the Son, to Jesus. 
And we'll see that in the scripture I'm about to get into. But there we go. Okay. And if you need to need to really kind of recap and, and get those points down, just rewind, listen to them again, write them down if you need to. But that's kind of the foundational stuff I wanted to lay. A lot of misconceptions I think people have about the Holy Spirit. Hopefully some of those things I just shared addressed those. Okay. Just breathe for a second though. Okay. We're going to move into this next part. And really the whole rest of the sermon today is built off of this one question. And it's this question, why is the Holy Spirit in you? I told you that at salvation, that moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit fills you, seals you. Why is the Holy Spirit in you? The whole rest of the sermon is just going to be me answering that question. I think there's many good answers to that question, but I have two specifically this morning. And they are this. The Holy Spirit is in you because He wants to transform you and He wants to transform the world through you. Okay, if you're taking notes, write that down. The Holy Spirit is in you because He wants to transform you and He wants to transform the world through you. That's my whole sermon. Okay, we're done. Just kidding, we're not done. But that's seriously, that's all I want to talk about this morning. And that's so, if, if you hear one thing this morning, hear that. Holy Spirit wants to transform you and He wants to transform the world through you. So I'll start with that first piece. The Holy Spirit wants to transform you. There's a lot of scripture I could go to for this, but I want to zero in on two different passages in scripture that give us really good insight into this idea. First is John 16, 5 through 15. And this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. And he says, Now I'm going to be with him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. There's a lot of good stuff I could pull from this, um, but there are three very like dumbed down, simplified ways that I think this scripture says the Holy Spirit works in us to transform us. Okay, very like, very, like I said, dumbed down, simplified, but here they are. Here's the first. The Holy Spirit convicts. The Holy Spirit convicts. It says that he convicts the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And then it expounds on all three of those things, which I could do, but I'm not going to do that. I just want to make the point that the Holy Spirit transforms us through conviction. That he brings conviction into our life. And conviction is awesome. Conviction is actually a gift. And I think there's two primary ways that we get convicted. Okay. Um, the first is we have things in our life that shouldn't be there, sin, um, whatever. And God 
puts his finger on those parts of our life and says, hey, Jonathan, like I, this is not supposed to be in your life. Repent and get free from that. Okay, that's one form of conviction. I think conviction is also realizing things that are not in our life that need to be, such as like spending time with God. Okay, that's something that he will convict us about because he wants it to be in our life. And conviction is just simply God calling us higher. And he does it through his spirit. And you, maybe you've heard people talk about hearing from God. Okay, I talk that way all the time. I talk about how God said something to me or spoke to me in this way. And um, you might not relate to that at all. You might be like, people hear from God? What the heck? When I say I hear from God, all I'm really talking about is conviction. Okay, if you have conviction in your life, that, that means you hear from him. Conviction is the way God speaks to us, one of the ways God speaks to us. And it's awesome. It's a gift. And that's one of the primary ways the Holy Spirit transforms us is through conviction. And conviction is never going to contradict Scripture. Okay, If you hear something that you, you think is a conviction from the Holy Spirit and it's like totally out of line with Scripture, you need to reevaluate, okay? You're probably not hearing from the Holy Spirit. Um, he will never contradict the word. Okay, the next thing that we see here, we see that he guides us into truth. The helper, the Holy Spirit guides us into truth. I want to uh, liken this to a, a college class. Uh, imagine you have an exam and you go into your exam and the professor sits down with you and they're like, hey, I'm going to help you through this one. I'll, I'll, I'll be your teammate for this exam. I'll help you get all the right answers. Okay, if you, if you compare life to that college class, that's kind of what the Holy Spirit is. Okay, in the same way that that professor has a lot of knowledge and wisdom in the, the material for that class, the Holy Spirit has all wisdom. Okay, he's the one who, who created truth. He has all knowledge, all insight, all understanding. And he guides us into truth. That's awesome. The one who has all wisdom and insight and, and truth and understanding is inside of us. And he wants to lead us into truth. That's one of the ways he transforms us. And then this next part, it says that he takes what is Jesus's and declares it to us. Jesus says he'll take what is mine and declare it to you. And then he says it again in the next verse. That felt kind of confusing. I had to spend quite a bit of time figuring out what that meant. And this very simplified way I'll, I'll explain that is just by saying this. The Holy Spirit makes us more like Jesus. The Holy Spirit wants to make our character look more like the character of Jesus. He wants to make our desires look more like the desires of Jesus. And if we let him, he will. Okay, I'll move on to this, this next scripture that I think gives us some good insight about how the Holy Spirit transforms us. It's Titus chapter 3, verse 4 through 6. It says, When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So we see another function of the Holy Spirit here. It says that, that we're saved by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. So first, that word regeneration. I found this in a commentary and I really like it. It says this idea of regeneration here, it means moral renovation or the production of a new life consecrated to God. A radical change of mind for the better. So basically, I think 
what the Holy Spirit does, what this is saying is in regenerating us, He makes us a new creation. Okay, through the Holy Spirit, we are born again. Through the Holy Spirit, we're restored and regenerated into our created purpose. Which you look back in Genesis, what's man's created purpose? It's to be God's image bearers. It's to represent Him to the world. Okay, And we failed at that. Um, but when we're born again through believing the gospel of Jesus and filled with the Holy Spirit, He regenerates us and restores us to our created purpose. And then it uses this word, renewal. And I, I see root renewal almost as like a process word. Okay, It's kind of like a, a process of transformation that the Holy Spirit takes us on. And He wants to do that. He wants to renew us. He wants to renew you. And when you hear me talking about renewal and regeneration, that might feel frustrating because I don't doubt that some of you guys, I've been here myself, look at your own life and you're like, that's great that you say the Holy Spirit wants to regenerate me and renew me, but I sure don't feel it. Okay, that's sure out of line with my experience. Many of you guys might, might be like, yeah, I, I, I'm still stuck in sin. Where is the Holy Spirit's renewal in me? Okay, many of us are, are stuck in, in insecurity and in comparison, crippled by it. Many of us are still stuck in, in just being judgmental and critical. Many of us are neck deep in addiction, porn, okay, sexual addiction. Maybe you can't stop sleeping with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. Maybe you're addicted to substances. Many, many of us hate ourselves. And I'd say for many of us, maybe even all of us, there's places of darkness in our life where we have experienced little to no renewal. So great, John, it's great you tell me the Holy Spirit wants to renew me, but why the heck is all this crap still in my life? And my question is, is the problem on the Holy Spirit's end or is it on our end, right? Is the Holy Spirit the one dropping the ball and like not doing a good job of renewing us? Does he only like complete that work 50%? Surely not. Okay, surely the problem has to be on our end. And, and what I'm going to say next, I, I don't want to say to like make you feel like crap about yourself. I just want this to be a challenge to you. How do we, how do we get to see this renewal happen? Okay, how, how? How do we let the Holy Spirit renew us? It happens in the place of surrender. Okay, we have to surrender. All those things I just listed off for you, we have to bring those to Him in surrender. We have to bring them into the light. Okay, we have to give Jesus the, the keys to our house. If you imagine your life as a house, I think something that we do is we'll, we'll open up the door and we're like, Jesus, come on in, right? Like, you're my, you're my friend, like, come into my house. And, and we, we tell Him, like he, he comes into the foyer of our home and we're like, that's it. You, you can't come any further. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're in my life, but you can't come any further. Okay. And, and if that's the way that we are and we don't let him into those rooms and those closets and the attic and those dark places in our house, we're never going to experience renewal there. And I, I've even seen this in my own life. Okay. Um, for me, I told you in the beginning, I met Jesus six years ago and there were so many dark things in my life that were difficult to get free from substance abuse, sexual sin. I was so addicted to, to porn and that kind of thing. And I couldn't stop. Right. And it was until I surrendered. It was until I like truly, and we know like 
you might be like, what's that mean? Like, and I'm not going to give you an answer to that question. That's for you to determine. But it was until I really surrendered and gave Jesus the keys and said, every room is yours, that I started to find freedom and I started to be renewed and regenerated. And he wants to do that for you too. Okay, we have to surrender. Mark 8, Jesus says, if anyone wishes to save his life, he's going to lose it. But anyone who loses his life for my sakes and the, for my sake and the gospels will find it. Anyone who loses his life for my sake and the gospels will find it. Surrender is the key. So the Holy Spirit wants to transform you. Hopefully those things that I just talked about were helpful. Um, he wants to transform you through conviction, through um, leading, leading you into truth. He wants to transform you through making you look more like Jesus in your character and in your desires. And he wants to transform you through renewal and regeneration. So next we're going to move on to this, this next part. Why is the Holy Spirit in you? To transform you and to transform the world through you. And there's a lot of other places I can look in scripture for this, where, where you see the Holy Spirit transforming the world through people, but the most clear is in Acts. So we'll pick up there in Acts 1, um, verses 1 through 11. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they'd come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he'd said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Awesome scripture here. Okay, this is some of the last words Jesus gives to his disciples before ascending into heaven. And if you had 12 best friends that you spent almost the entirety of three years with, like all the time you were with them, doing everything with them, and you were about to never see them ever again, wouldn't you think that your final words to them are significant and important? Yes, I would. These are Jesus' last words to his disciples. So we really need to pay attention to them and take them very seriously. And there's two things in the scripture that really strike me that I want to look at. The first, and I'm kind of working in reverse order, but the first is Jesus telling them that they're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon them and they're going to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. That is so exciting. It's almost like an echo of the Great Commission in Matthew 28, where Jesus tells them that to go and make disciples of all nations kind of feels a little bit like that. And this is such a high calling and such an exciting thing for the disciples to be invited into. It's an awesome mission that he's giving them. And I imagine the disciples probably had a little bit of fear, but they were probably, they were probably jacked, right? They were probably so excited 
that Jesus told them this. But the second thing is so that I want to talk about is so interesting. And if, if you look right before, Jesus says something so interesting to them. He gives them this really high calling. You're going to be my witnesses in the entire earth. But I want you to wait in Jerusalem. I want you to wait in Jerusalem. They've just seen the resurrected Jesus. And he's telling them to wait in Jerusalem. What do they need to wait for? He says they need to wait for the promise of the Father. And then he goes on to call the promise of the Father the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So I want to take some time to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? And I'll start just by saying a lot of people have very different ideas of what it means to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. But that, that phrase is very important because it's mentioned in all four Gospels. There's a lot of things that are only in one gospel or two gospels or three gospels, but this idea of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is in all four gospels at least once. And in all four gospels, John the Baptist is the one who talks about it. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but someone's coming after me who's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit, referring to Jesus. And some gospels say he'll baptize you in the Holy Spirit and with fire. Okay, so all four Gospels mention it. It's, it's one of the last things Jesus says to his disciples before he ascends into heaven. Um, and people have very different ideas of what it means to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to press into that. First, the word baptism. It comes from the Greek word baptizo, and it means to submerge or immerse or metaphorically to overwhelm. So if you replace the word baptism with those synonyms, it, it, it means it's, it's saying to be submerged with the Holy Spirit or to be immersed in the Holy Spirit or to be overwhelmed with the Holy Spirit. That's what the word baptism means. Um, so I'll just dive into these different beliefs people have on baptism in the Holy Spirit. And I'm not going to tell you which one I believe, okay? I'll just kind of lay, I, I have three big ones. So Many believers would just say that baptism of the Holy Spirit is what happens at salvation. It's what happens when Ephesians 1.13 happens, when we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. That's all baptism of the Holy Spirit means. It's when the Holy Spirit comes into the believer at the moment of salvation. Okay, others believe that, yes, we're filled with the Holy Spirit at salvation, but baptism of the Holy Spirit is this totally different thing that happens when believers are empowered for Holy Spirit-led ministry. And then other, other people would say that, yes, we're filled with the Holy Spirit at salvation, but baptism of the Holy Spirit is simply something that happens repeatedly when we surrender and allow God to overwhelm us and empower us through His Spirit. And this is something we should long for. Okay, so there's different ideas of what baptism of the Holy Spirit means. Um, one thing, though, is abundantly clear. When you read through the book of Acts, and you look at all the different things that the Holy Spirit does in the lives of humans, you will see it's so clear that, that people's experience of the Holy Spirit is dynamic. Okay, whatever your views on baptism of the Holy Spirit is, it's clear in Scripture that people's experience with the Holy Spirit is dynamic. And when I even look at my own life uh, or the, and, and compare it to the lives of other believers, our own experiences with the Holy Spirit are very dynamic. And, and then when you just look at the whole of Scripture and you look at the words and the phrases that Scripture uses to describe people's experiences with the Holy Spirit, the phrases and the words are so dynamic. 
There's tons of them. There's probably like 20 or 30 different phrases. A few of them are here, like Scripture says that we'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Scripture says that we're filled with the Holy Spirit or sealed with the Holy Spirit. Scripture talks about people being clothed with the Holy Spirit. It talks about the Holy Spirit coming upon people. There's even times in Scripture where the Holy Spirit carries people. We're commanded in Scripture to walk by the Holy Spirit, to be led by the Holy Spirit, to be sealed with the Holy Spirit, and many more. And there's one thing that's so clear, okay? One thing is so clear. We desperately need the Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter what you think baptism of the Holy Spirit means or what all those unique phrases mean. We desperately need the Holy Spirit, especially if we want to be effective in partnering with God to transform the world. Why is the Holy Spirit in you? To transform you and to transform the world through you. We have no hope at doing that second thing apart from the Holy Spirit. But the unfortunate thing is that often we try to. Okay, I work in ministry. So much of the time, like, when we're trying to bring about transformation to our campus or to the world, like, we do things in our own strength. We do things apart from the Holy Spirit. We don't consult Him. And that results often in, I think, the church lacking true power. Okay, lacking what we're going to read about what happens in Acts after this first thing that I read in Acts 1. We lack true power much of the time because we do things in our own strength apart from the Spirit of God. 1 Thessalonians 5.19, I think this is actually picking up in verse 18 or 17, um, but it says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God and Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not quench the Spirit. So, we desperately need the Spirit, especially if we want to transform the world with the Gospel. But the fact that here in 1 Thessalonians that we're commanded to not quench the Spirit implies that we do. Like I just said, it implies that we often do quench the Spirit. So, what does it mean to quench the Spirit? I think it means a lot of different things, but... Some of them, I think quenching the Spirit, we quench the Spirit when we don't care about Him or honor Him as Lord. We quench the Spirit when we don't listen to Him. I think when we stay in sin or hiddenness, like when we keep things hidden in our life and stay in places of darkness, I think that quenches the Spirit. I think that we especially quench the Spirit when we're more interested in our own plans than in God's plans. And I think another thing, this might shock some of you, but I think Another thing that quenches the Spirit is sometimes our own intellect. Okay, the Holy Spirit, if we would let Him, something that He does in Scripture, He takes people beyond their own intellect. Okay, and intellect is a good thing. It's, it's a good thing to not be an aloof idiot, right? It's important that we, we have really good theology and really good doctrine. It's really important that we think things through. Um, but often the Holy Spirit will ask people to do things that do not make much sense. And unfortunately, in the Western world, I think our own intellect that turns into a lot of times skepticism and doubt and cynicism keeps us from being obedient to those things that don't make a whole lot of sense. Would you agree that, that human intellect 
would say it's a bad idea to put mud in a blind man's eyes? Yeah, safe to say. Okay, if I have a friend who's blind, I do actually have a good friend who's blind. Like if I just spit in the mud, picked it up and rubbed it in his eyes, human intellect would say that's probably not a good idea. Jesus did that. He did that. And the guy's eyes were opened. Would you agree that human intellect would say that sailing to a city where you know you're going to be imprisoned and maybe even killed is a bad idea? Yeah. Guess what? The Holy Spirit told Paul to do that. And he did. And he was imprisoned. And he was eventually killed. The point I'm making is, is that the Holy Spirit will sometimes take us beyond our own intellect. But he will never contradict scripture. I mentioned that before talking about conviction. So scripture is the litmus test that we have for is this the Holy Spirit speaking to me or is this my own imagination or some other voice? But yeah, the Holy Spirit will sometimes take us beyond our own intellect. I have a number of stories where I've seen this happen in my own life. Okay, uh, I think it was three years ago, myself and a few other friends, my wife, Ashley, and I think Trevor and a few other people, we really felt convicted about healing, this idea of healing. And we were just so hungry to see God heal people. So we, one day, we went to the ER at UC Health and we were like, we're just going to go in there. We're going to pray for God to touch people's bodies and heal them. And on the way there, we were walking up and on the, the curb, there was this girl sitting there and the Holy Spirit just highlighted her to me. And I just felt like I needed to go up to her and talk to her. So we did. And her name was Alex. She was a homeless heroin addict and she was a lesbian. And her wife or girlfriend, I'm not sure, was in the, in the hospital about to die. She had a heart infection because she'd been using dirty needles. And her blood got infected with something. And, and Alex was super distraught. And we just encouraged her with how much the Lord loves her and wants a relationship with her. She did not know Jesus at all. Um, but we were just really, like, encouraging her. And we prayed for her. And, like, God was, felt like God was kind of moving in that situation. And... I don't know how it came up, but we, we figured out that Alex needed a ride out to Coleraine. And I asked God, and I, was, I felt like I was supposed to give her a ride out to Coleraine. So she got in my truck, and we started driving. And as we started driving, I was praying and just asking God to, to show me um, how to minister to Alex. And a few things just became abundantly clear to me. I don't know if they were just social cues I was picking up on or if it was actually the Holy Spirit speaking to me. But it became clear to me that she was very uncomfortable around me, a man, one-on-one. Um, -on -one. And, and it became clear to me that she had probably been abused physically and sexually by men in her past. And she just like put up a huge wall and like would barely even talk to me. And I'm like, I really feel like God wants to do something. So I'm just like desperate. I'm like, God, show me something. Like break this wall, open up a door for me to minister to this woman and, and share your love with her. And I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying. And this word rose just drops into my mind. Rose. I'm like, rose, what the heck? Am I supposed to share this with her, Lord? Or like, what's going on? So I just asked, I said, uh, Alex, does the word rose mean anything to you? And she, her jaw drops. She's like, how did you know that? I'm like, I know what? I don't know. I don't know what I know. Um, she's like, yeah, it does mean something to me. My, my mom just died a year ago from overdose, drug overdose, and she like, was my best friend. And her favorite flower was a rose. And she's telling me about how her mom loved roses. And I'm not kidding, I'm not making this up, I, f I feel like God shows me that her mom had a tattoo of a rose on her body. So I, I'm like, Alex, did your mom have a tattoo of a rose on her body? And she was like, 
how did you know that? So she did. She did have a tattoo of a rose. And the, the word that God gave me after this was like, okay, Alex, God just brought your attention to the person in your life who loved you most and you loved most. God loves you so much more than your mom loves you or ever loved you. Like God is crazy about you. He wants a relationship with you. And, and it hit her, okay? And she didn't give her life to Jesus in that moment, but the wall came down and the Spirit spoke to her. And, it, and if I stuck to my intellect in that moment, I never would have taken that risk and asked, does the word rose mean anything to you? Because that's ridiculous. It's just a random word. Okay, so that's the point I really wanted to make. The Holy Spirit will sometimes take us beyond our own intellect. So let's not quench the Spirit. Let's not quench the Holy Spirit, okay? Okay, so next, um, next scripture, I want to move on in the book of Acts. It says, They returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet. This is after Jesus ascended into heaven, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they entered, they went into the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John, and, J and it just lists all the names of the disciples. I'm not going to do that. It says that all of them were of one accord, devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. So pause. What do we see here? I don't know about you, but I kind of see like a desperation, right? Jesus ascended into heaven. What's their response? They go to the upper room and they devote themselves to prayer. Um, I just see a desperation here. I see a hunger here. I mean, they were acting in obedience to what Jesus told them to not depart from Jerusalem, but I just see a desperate hunger uh, in the disciples here. So we're going to move on. The next part of Acts 1 is just all about them electing um, another disciple to replace Judas, and it's not really important here. So picking up in Acts 2, verse 1 through 21. So when the day of Pentecost arrived... They were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and at the sound at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we each hear in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors of Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans, Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongue the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocked, saying they're filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered by the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, declares God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. 
The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And Peter goes on and and that day, thousands of people were saved and added to their number. And then from this point forward, you hear the phrase like all hell broke loose. From this point forward, all heaven breaks loose. Crazy, crazy, crazy stuff starts happening. It says day by day, people were added to them. Day by day, people were getting saved. People started getting healed. Okay, People were um, like taking handkerchiefs that touched Peter and other disciples and bringing them back to sick people. And sick people were being healed. Um, Stephen was, was stoned to death for um, demonstrating the gospel and power. And as he was being stoned, it says he looked into heaven. And he saw Jesus at the right hand of the Father. Crazy things started happening. Paul got radically born again and then started preaching the gospel all over the world. Miracles started happening like time and time and time again. Like heaven broke loose after this moment. And it's crazy when you think of the disciples. Okay, we think of the disciples as these hardcore awesome men, right? They wrote some of the New Testament. The disciples were like nobodies before this moment. Jesus was constantly for three years correcting them and reproving them for saying stupid stuff. And then all of a sudden they become filled with confidence and power and heaven breaks loose through their life. And the world is radically transformed through them. Later in Acts, um, the disciples, people are talking about the disciples and they say that they're, they're turning the world upside down. I want this. Right? Whatever it is that happened in this scripture, I want it. Okay? I want it in my life. I want it for our church. Like something happened here. And it's crazy even when you consider the fact that the disciples walked with Jesus for three years. They, they followed him for three years and God worked through them occasionally. But something clicked here. Something happened here and it was the Holy Spirit. Okay, the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit came on to the disciples. They were filled with power. They were filled with confidence. And they transformed the world. Partnered with the Holy Spirit. Like I said, I want that. And I need that. And the church needs that. Okay, the Holy Spirit doesn't fill believers so that we can just live normal, average lives. Sit in church for 80 years and then retire and die. That's not why the Holy Spirit comes into us. The Holy Spirit comes into us because He wants to change the world through you. He wants to partner with you. He wants to give gifts to you. Okay, He wants to fill you with confidence and boldness and power and authority. And He wants to move on the earth. He wants to expand His kingdom through you. And looking at my own life, I I would... Like, be a fool to say that what happened in Acts 2 has happened to me. It has not. I long for it. I want it. I've heard testimonies of, like, in the Korean church, they, they had a thing that happened back in the early 1900s called the Second Pentecost, um, where something similar to this happened. I want this. For me, I've not really had anything exactly like this happen, but if I look back on the past six years, there is one moment in my life where... It was like the most Pentecost-like moment I've ever had. Okay, and I just want to tell you about that. So, um, close to summer of my second year of college, I've been walking with Jesus for about a year and a half at this time, and 
things were really good. I was growing in, in my faith. I was in scripture. Um, but I just started to get really discontent, okay? Because I, I saw a lack of fire in me and I saw a lack of fire around me. And I just felt like there wasn't a zeal to partner with God to transform the world. And I knew that God wanted to transform the world through me. So I was just frustrated. I was really discontent. I started like getting kind of mad at people around me. Like I just changed a little bit and I was, I was frustrated, um, but really I was hungry. I was so hungry. And uh, impulsively, I decided to drive to North Carolina. And my brothers have a church out there and I love my brothers so much. I look up to them probably more than anyone else in the world um, other than Jesus. Um, they just discipled me a lot over the years and, and I, I, I saw something different about their life. I saw like a confidence that they walked in. Um, I saw them taking risks that were just bizarre to me and their faith. And I really saw God transforming the world through them more than in, in my own life. So I impulsively drove there and um, stayed there for a weekend. And before one of the, the Sunday morning service, uh, my middle brother, Andrew, he would go at like 5 a.m. and pray for an hour before setup. They used to meet in a hotel, their church, and it's just me and him. And we're in this like room, worship's on, worship music's on, and, and we're just praying. Like he's in one corner, I'm in the other corner, and I'm like crying out to God. Like this is probably the most intent prayer, like intense prayer, sorry, I've ever prayed. Like I'm just, I'm actually on the floor, prostrate on the floor, just crying out to God. I'm like, God... Like, I want more. I want to be set on fire. I want um, to transform the world. I want to burn for you. Laying on the floor. And my brother, I feel a tap on my shoulder. My brother walks up to me and he's like, John, I'm going to pray for you. And he puts his hand on my chest and a hand, another hand on my shoulder. And he starts praying for me. And I, words can't really describe what happened next. I, before I knew it, I was on, I was like on all fours, weeping, just weeping. And I started speaking in tongues which may seem weird to you. Like people have different ideas of what tongues means. I knew, I didn't even know what that meant. I didn't know what tongues were. I'd heard about it in first Corinthians 14, but had no frame of reference for this. I just started speaking in like another language. And I just felt totally overwhelmed by the presence of God in that moment. And it was like a physical thing that happened in me. And from that point forward, there was just like this new fire in me for the gospel. And I got really, I spent a summer in India. Um, and after that, I got really like zealous for sharing the gospel with people. I started to see like some kind of supernatural things happen in my life. Um, but it kind of became this thing, like an ebb and flow kind of thing where I'd quench the spirit. Okay, I'd have seasons where I'd really ignore him and, and I wouldn't see him move at all. And I wouldn't really see him move in me either. But then um, I, I'd maybe have an experience or I gain some insight in scripture and I'd really re-surrender in a lot of ways to his will and he'd start to work again. Um, but that's that story I shared with you from my own life. It was a result of hunger. Okay. That thirst, whatever word you want to use that scripture I read um, from John seven, I believe it was Jesus says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. This he said of the spirit. That's what it was for me. It was this thirst that drove me to North Carolina, that woke me up at five in the morning to pray and, and that drove me to the floor, crying out to God for more. It was, it was thirst that got me to that place. I was desperate for God. 
Okay, and, and I want us to be desperate for him. I want us to be desperate for him. I want us to be willing to partner with the Spirit to bring about transformation in the world. And, and I realize like today I haven't given you a ton of practical application. And I don't think the point of today is practical application. My goal today is just to stir you. I just want to stir up hunger and thirst in you for the Spirit of God. Become desperate for him, okay? Become desperate for him. When we're thirsty, he satisfies. And he wants to transform you and he wants to transform the world through you. That is why the Holy Spirit is in you. So I just want to close with this scripture from Luke 11, verse 9 through 13, and then I'll I'll pray. It says, and I tell you, this is Jesus talking, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. This is the most important part of the scripture. If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Okay, He wants us to partner with Him. That's Scripture in Acts 2, the promise of the Father. It says God will pour out His Spirit on all flesh and blood. Okay, He's pouring. He wants to give His Spirit to us. He wants to partner with us. He wants to transform us. Let's ask How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? I'm going to pray. God, we desperately need You. We cannot be transformed apart from Your Spirit. We cannot bring about transformation in the world around us apart from Your Spirit. We desperately need Your Spirit. And I don't know what all those phrases in Scripture mean about being clothed with and filled with and coming upon and being led by and walking by, all these things. But I just know one thing. We desperately need your Spirit. God, we want to see the University of Cincinnati transformed, and it will not happen apart from your Spirit. It will not happen unless we surrender and follow your plans, your ways, more than our own. So... Just come, Holy Spirit, just just come, fill us, speak to us. If there's anything that we we need to do or repent of or convictions you want to give us, just, just do it, God. We just want to receive from you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, guys.